0: slash connect, and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you.
1: My husband just told me, don't trip, and then he trips me, so... (laughs) going out there. (laughs) So funny. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you and to be able to preach God's word to you today. Um, Somebody asked me why, I was telling them that I was preaching today and he was like, why isn't, why isn't Trent preaching? Uh, Because if if you were here last week, we got to hear Lydia Campbell White, the missionary speaker. I was supposed to preach last week, but then we got the privilege of hearing from her. So I got bumped to this week and they were like, why isn't, why isn't Trent preaching? (laughs) I was like, well, because I'm preaching, and so I, I take that as a sign, Trent, that people miss your preaching and they want you to preach. So it's good stuff.
0: Good
1: <laughs> So I have a couple of friends, uh, and I want to I want to share their story with you before we before we dive in. Is that okay? I've just I want to share some of their story with you. So the my friends, um, the guy, his name is Aaron and he's married to his wife, Sam. Those aren't their real names. We're going to just shield those for for reasons. And they wanted to have a child so badly. Um, All of their friends were having babies, and and, and that made it hard for them to to be in social situations, right? Uh, Because they wanted to be happy for their friends, but they were just overwhelmed with grief sometimes. Uh, around their their pregnant friends and and newborn babies. And they tried and tried all kinds of things to try and make it happen. You see, to to Aaron and Sam, having a baby was the only thing that could really provide wholeness in their lives. They, They felt like this was the thing that would complete them. And so they saw doctor after doctor trying to figure out how they could have a child. But a lot of them told them that it was impossible, that they couldn't have kids. And so they were getting pretty close to to losing hope. Um, But they decided to try one more doctor. Some friends had told them about this doctor. And uh, this doctor seemed more confident than the other doctors that having a child was possible. This doctor didn't even seem concerned at all with their predicament. Uh, In fact, the doctor promised that they would have a kid. And not only that, but they would have more than one kid. And the doctor said, you simply have to trust that I know what I'm talking about. I've done this for so many years. And, and so my friends, they were a little bit skeptical, but, but they were encouraged by hope by what this doctor had told them. They, they had this glimmer of hope because of this doctor's confidence. Um, I'll share the rest of the story later, but in the meantime, Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 4 today. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5, and then verses 13 through 17, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Um, Out of reverence for the reading of God's word, if you are willing and able, would you stand to hear the scripture reading today? This is Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 1. So what are we going to say? Are we going to find that Abraham is our ancestor on the basis of genealogy? Because if Abraham was made righteous because of his actions, he would have had a reason to brag, but not in front of God. What does the scripture say? Abraham had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Workers' salaries aren't credited to them on the basis of an employer's grace, but rather on the basis of what they deserve. But faith is credited as righteousness to those who don't work because they have faith in God who makes the ungodly righteous. Skipping forward to verse 13. The promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. If they inherit because of the law, then faith has no effect and the promise has been canceled. The law brings about wrath. But when there isn't any law, there isn't any violation of the law. That's why the inheritance comes through faith, so that it will be on the basis of God's grace. In that way, the promise is secure for all of Abraham's descendants, not just for those who are related by law, but also for those who are related by the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have appointed you to be the father of many nations, so Abraham is our father in the eyes of God, in whom he had faith, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. I have to admit, it, it was kind of challenging this week uh, to try to dissect this passage and decide what to preach on. There's so much richness here, so much we could talk about, um, but one of the fun things about preaching, and, and Debbie and Trent, you, you know this, and any, any others of you who have preached a sermon before, um, one of the fun things is that if I'm doing it right, all I have to do is listen to what God wants me to share. Um, I, don't have to, I don't have to come up with a bunch of stuff out of my own mind, but God just places it on my mind and my heart to share with you. So let's dive in. Now, when I read Romans, maybe this is just me, or when I read any of Paul's letters, really, uh, does anyone else try to imagine like, what it was like listening to Paul in person? I, <laughs> or is that just me? I, I just imagine Paul was like this hyperactive preacher, like hyped up on caffeine, right? Because he's just asking so many questions. <laughs> um, sometimes he asks a question, and then he af- answers the question with another question, and then he answers the question like all in the same breath. At least that's how it is in his letters. Like I, I don't know if this was spoken to people, but I imagine as he preached, he kind of spoke in the same way that he wrote. And so I just kind of giggle, like there's no falling asleep with, with Paul preaching. <laughs> and I hope people can say the same about my preaching, but we'll see. You see the whole book of Romans and a lot of Paul's letters, they, they read like one big sermon or at least a bunch of little sermons. Either way, Paul is, Paul is on a roll. <laughs> He's on this mission to make sure that these people know about this Jesus stuff. You see, Paul's specific mission was to preach the good news to the Gentiles, um, those who were not Jewish by birth and who were uncircumcised. You see, for the Jews, the law was everything. Everything. If you weren't raised to learn and know the scriptural law, then they believed there was really no place for you in God's story, at least for a long time. But, but then Jesus came along, right? And, and so Jesus preached, and, and therefore Paul preached and was adamant that what happened on the cross and the days following were for the whole world, for everyone, for every nation forever, not just for the, the Jews, not just for the Gentiles, but every person who believes in Jesus Christ. And that's why many people who have, who have studied Paul's letter to the Romans believe that the crowd there was probably a large percentage Jews, actually. This was a message that Paul specifically wanted the Jewish population to hear, even though it was a message that not a lot of them wanted to hear. Isn't that fun how preachers get to do that? That's why... In the gospel stories, we see the Pharisees pushing back against Jesus so much, right? We see them pushing back because they've been raised for generations to follow the law and to believe that that's what makes them righteous. That's what saves them. They couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that the unclean, the Gentiles, would be included in this promise. And understandably so. They spent years of their life and generations of their ancestors functioned with this understanding that they were God's chosen people. So what Jesus and Paul had to say didn't make a whole lot of sense, right? But part of me thinks that that's the point. God has always worked in ways that don't really make much sense, at least not to us. Sometimes the things God does make a lot of sense, but other times we sometimes scratch our head and we're like, God, what are, you, what are you up to? You see, Jesus talked of this kingdom that didn't make much sense, right? A kingdom that was so backwards, so upside down in contrast to the kingdoms of the world. And speaking of things not making sense, I want to return really quick to Aaron and Sam, who I was telling you about earlier. Do you remember how they were fairly certain that they wouldn't have kids, but they decided in this one doctor who was confident? Well, I have a confession. Aaron isn't actually named Aaron, and Sam isn't actually Sam, and the doctor isn't just a doctor. You see, in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a man named Abram and his wife, Sarai. You see, if you know their story, you know they tried for years and years to have kids, right? Because this, was how, this is how in ancient Israel, families were carried on, right? This was what gave people prosperity for years to come. And so years pass by, and they begin to, to lose hope because they think their family name is going to come to an end, at least biologically, But then we get to Genesis 15, and I want to read this to you. I don't have it on the screen, um, but this is Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And this this is verse 6 might sound familiar. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited, credited it to him as righteousness. If you know the story of Abram, you know that lots of things happen after this encounter with, with God and Abraham. But eventually we find out that Abraham was 100 years old and Sarai was 91 years old when they gave birth to their son Isaac. God has always worked in ways that don't make much sense, at least not to us, creating the universe, splitting an ocean so that his people could cross safely, promising descendants that number more than the stars, and raising the dead back to life. That is the God we worship. That is the God who deemed Abraham righteous, simply because he believed. And the Jewish response to Paul was, well, yeah, Abraham followed God's law. Of course, like, he was part of God's promise. And Paul says, no, God credited Abraham as righteous before the law was even written, like way before the law was even written. They had their, they must have not taken their history class. Paul says this righteousness that, that God credited to Abraham only comes from faith. Abraham believed, and God called him righteous. He is justified, made righteous, not because he followed a set of rules, but because he believed in God. And yet many of the people who, who read that letter from Paul or who maybe heard from him uh, in person, they focus so much on what they had to do to be saved, from God, rather than than what God had already done for them, as if their actions would save them. Those silly people, we don't struggle with that, do we? No, I think we're no different. In some ways, I wonder if if we've gotten a little bit worse, even. You see, in in Western society, uh, we've been inundated with this This mindset, this message that that we have to work for everything we receive. That somehow, the the harder we work, the more we'll get. And and perhaps there's some truth to that. There's, There's value in hard work. Paul said it, when you work for an employer, you receive wages. You work, you get paid. And if you work harder than the person next to you, maybe you'll get paid even more. And I think, that mindset has just seeped into every corner of our lives. I connected with the way one commentator put it this week as I was reading. He said, our psyches, our minds, have been hijacked by the competitive, achievement-driven values of Western society. Whether we wear work jeans or starched collars, we are conditioned from birth by the supposition that we are the masters of our fate The captains of our soul. You see, the Jewish followers worked hard for their righteousness, only to be told that their work would would not save them. (laughs) I mean, I understand their frustration, right? Like, have you ever worked so hard for something and then it turns out to be almost nothing or not like you planned, right? I think it's happened to all of us. And a term I came across years ago is, is a good way, I think, to describe this way of functioning when it comes to faith. And, and it actually came up in conversation this week. I had asked in the E! News for you to share stories with me of God's grace in your lives. Um, and I was so blessed by those that responded. Um, but but she, she mentioned the same term. It's, it's this idea called bootstrap theology. And... Basically what it is 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 that even in work, but not just work, in our lives, like sometimes when we're struggling, when when we're stuck in what we're going through, this idea that I just gotta snap out of it. I just gotta pull up my bootstraps and keep going, right? And side note, if you know of anybody that is struggling with either mental illness or any illness for that matter, don't tell them to just pull up their bootstraps and keep going. This does more harm than good. Okay, off my soapbox. You see, this this harmful understanding of work and action has in some ways polluted our relationships with God, just like it did for the Jewish community who thought that the harder they worked, the more worthy they would be of God's love. Paul said it then, and I want to say it to you now. You are not justified or saved by your works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me put it another way. There's nothing you can do, and I know for some of you that's hard to hear. There's nothing you can do to earn God's grace and love, and there's nothing you can do because God has already given it to you. It's already yours, and you need only receive it. You know how at the end of the service we put out our hands as a, a symbol of receiving God's blessing? That's what we have to do with our lives, is receive that gift. Think of it this way uh, maybe, maybe your grandmother or, or a, a loved aunt handmakes you this, this blanket and has spent so many hours on it, and you say, No thanks, Grandma, I don't deserve that blanket. How do you think your grandma would respond? Mine would bonk me on the head, you silly child. But then she would give me a big warm hug and say, sweet child, this is a gift. It's yours whether you think you deserve it or not. Now if you mow my lawn, I'll give you some cookies. (laughs) That's what she would say. And so maybe we ought to start thinking of... (laughs) of God's love and grace, like that blanket your grandma made you. It was simply the trust Abraham had in God to fulfill that promise that made him righteous. Nothing else. You see, when we when we function out of this justification by works mindset, day in and day out, we will always be aiming for something that has already been freely given. We'll be like, you know, the horse with the, the carrot on a string will always be chasing after it, but it's, we've already gotten it. We've already gotten the carrot. <laughs> it already belongs to us, but not because of anything we've done, only by the graciousness and love of God, who, as we were reminded by the earlier scripture reading, gave his only son so that who could be saved? Whoever believes in him. Not just Jews, not just Gentiles, or black or white, or male or female, but all who believe in his name. And we, we sang it in the song earlier, uh, the hymn, to God be the glory, the vilest offender who truly believes his part, he will receive pardon from God. You see, we have to stop living out of the mentality and practices of, of a Western economy and and start living into a, a kingdom economy, an economy in which all who believe and trust in Jesus are saved, an economy in which all who confess and repent are forgiven, an economy that doesn't require payback, as if God's gift were just loan with high interest, an economy in which we don't work because we have some debt to pay, but we work because we want to participate in the mission of God, a mission that seeks to bring hope and light and life to every nation, every person. So if you are weary today from trying so hard to earn God's love, from bending and bending because you think that that is what will make you worthy, if you're weary from the heartache of shame or guilt or abuse, I want you to hear this today. You and I have been given something far greater than we can ever fully understand. And all God asks of you is that you trust. Trust that God is good and that God wants what is best for you. Trust that you are a child of God not because of anything you've done, but because it is simply who you are created to be. I read a magazine article earlier this week, and it's an old uh, magazine that I just had sitting on my shelf, but for some reason, God was like, you should read that article, because I remember reading it a long time ago, and there's this short paragraph in it that, that fits so perfectly with what we're talking about. And it also speaks to where we're at in the season of Lent, right? Today is the second Sunday in this season of Lent where we are fully aware of, of our humanity, of our dependence on God. The article is called Perfectly Imperfect, and I just wanted to read this short excerpt. It says, the Bible does not allow any dishonesty about the human condition. We are creatures made from dirt and dust who, needs God, who need God's breath in our lungs to sustain our lives. And yet there's a kind of glory in our humanity because even with our imperfections, we bear the image of God. To quote one of the most perfectly imperfect people in history, we are merely clay pots, cracked just enough for the real light to shine through. That's perfectly, that perfectly imperfect person's name was Paul, one of the first Christian leaders who went on to say that this is exactly as it should be so that we never forget where the glory comes from. See, Abraham wasn't even close to perfect. None of the people God used in God's mission were perfect. But they were loved by God, just like you and I are loved by God. I'm going to ask the praise team to to come on up. And and while they do, I, I want you to think about something with me. You can close your eyes if that will help you. That often helps me not to be distracted. But I want you to think about, want you to think about how you think about God. What are the words that come to mind if, if you were asked to describe God? If a friend asks you, who is this God that you worship? Are they words like loved or love? Loving, good, and merciful? Or are they words like judge, wrathful, or angry? And whatever words come to your mind, I want you to know that's okay. Whatever you feel about God is is okay. But then I want you to think about that moment when God showed Abraham the stars. He turned his gaze toward the sky and made a promise to him. Or the God who opened up the ocean so that his people could cross safely. Or the God who sends a son to heal, to walk with, and to die for the sins of the world. What kind of God does those things? And so as we sing this closing song, I. I want you to open yourself up to the gift of grace today. All you have to do is receive it. And if you do well, do better with physical actions that represent what your heart is trying to do, then put your hands out as an act of receiving what God has given to you today. Father, I ask that in these moments that we would truly... Lean into the grace that you have offered us, that we would stop trying so hard to earn your love because it's already been given to each and every one of us. And for that, we give you thanks. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This, this shift in mindset from, from a works first kind of faith to a belief first kind of faith. The writer called it doxology before discipleship. You see, doxology is this fancy word we use to describe praise and honor of God. And discipleship as we know is the way we live our lives because we live, because we love Jesus. See, before we do the work of discipleship, we must first praise God, for God is good. And then, and only then, can we truly be disciples of Jesus. So for that reason, today our our benediction will be singing the doxology together. Um, So I invite you to stand and to, to extend your hands out as we sing this praise. Sing it with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God. and discipleship, and peace today. Amen. And don't forget to pick up your cinnamon rolls.
0: the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org/connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.